Specialty Story, session number 85. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and my goal here at MedEd Media, and specifically on Specialty Stories, is to give you, the pre-med medical student or even resident, a peek behind the scenes of what it's like to be a specific specialty. And that's both in an academic setting and in a community setting. And with today's guest, we are talking to an academic cardiologist. We're having a chat with Dr. David Winchester, an academic cardiologist who's been out of training now for eight years. And he is a fellow Gator and currently works at UF as an academic cardiologist. We start the conversation by talking about what initially drew him to cardiology. So my first interest in cardiology, you know, I was interested in it basically from med school onward, and it was just sort of the subject that made the most sense. It clicked. I enjoyed doing it more than other things, but I didn't really commit to it until uh, within a residency. So maybe halfway through my first year of internal medicine residency, I had the same sort of experience with my first clinical rotation on cardiology, just loved it, came home with a smile on my face, and knew that's what I wanted to do. What was it that was so intriguing for you for cardiology versus something like nephrology or pulmonology? You know, it's hard to say because I think they've all got some degree of similarity. They've all got, you know, acute inpatient conditions that can be exciting. They've all got... uh, uh, chronic outpatient management that if that's what you're interested in can be fulfilling as well. I, I don't know. It was um, it was something about acute MI management and reading ECGs. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard to kind of put my finger on. Were there any other specialties that were were vying for that top spot as you were going through training? I had a little bit of interest in pulmonary critical care, mostly because I really enjoyed my experience in our intensive care unit. I I found that challenging, fulfilling, exciting, and I had the same experience in the cardiac ICU as well. Yeah. So you you like it sounds like you were talking about the the MIs and, and heart failure and ICU. It sounds like you like critical things. I did. The funny thing is that in my career now, I don't do that much of that anymore, but I do still make a point of having my chiefs put me on the intensive care unit service for at least a couple of weeks a year so that I can stay fresh with that and still do some of it. Yeah. So you're in an academic setting at UF. What was the decision algorithm for you to be in an academic setting versus a community setting? I really enjoyed the opportunity to stay highly engaged with teaching and to do research, not just being a, you know, a site PI, a principal investigator for 
a large industry or trial, because you can do that sort of research in private practice. But I really wanted to do my own research. And the really, I think the only way to do that substantially is within an academic setting. So it was the the additional missions of education and research that really compelled me to stay within the academic sphere. Very cool. Now, as as a academic general cardiologist, what sorts of patients are you treating and disease processes are you seeing? I see just about everything that a general cardiologist sees, and that's because of the way that I've got my clinical duties structured. So I do some clinic, I do some ICU, I do imaging, but I also do inpatient hospital care. So I'll see MIs, I'll see heart failure, I'll see atrial fibrillation and dysrhythmias, I'll see preventative care. So pretty much everything within cardiology. A little bit about everything, which a variety junkie kind of likes. Absolutely. That's um, one of the things that I wanted to have in a career. Good. Describe a typical day or a week if there is no typical day for you. So my duties, and this is just how things run at my particular institution, but we tend to do services broken up a week at a time. So I'll have one week where I'm the ICU attending, one week where I am the clinic attending. And then for me as an academic, I actually have some grant support so that some weeks I don't have a clinical responsibility. And my job is to teach, write papers, write grants, that sort of thing. When I'm in clinic, our setup, which again is a little unique because I'm full-time at our VA hospital within my academic appointment. And so at the VA, we have a, a team approach where I see patients in clinic, but I see almost every patient with either a resident, fellow, nurse practitioner, or physician assistant. And so I'll have a full day of clinic for me would be eight to 10 patients that are new in a half day where the patient has initially been seen by somebody else. And then I come in and help with the assessment and plan primarily. When I'm on the intensive care unit, I will be responsible at our hospital for all of the inpatient consults for the day. So that would be, again, acute AFib, acute heart failure, acute MI. And I'll also do rounds in the intensive care unit, which for us, our entire medical ICU, I think is 16 beds of which maybe three or four would typically be cardiac patients. For somebody who wants to work with their hands, is there an opportunity for that being a general cardiologist? In academics, I would say not as much for the general, right? So there's subspecialty cardiologists that that do most of the procedural stuff. There are some, uh, you know, in the community that still do some uh, invasive procedures. But for me, it's mostly taking a look at pictures, seeing patients in clinic, that sort of thing. What does call look like for you? As an academic cardiologist, typically there's going to be a layered structure to the call system where I might be responsible for, you know, any number of facilities, but there would also probably be at least a cardiology fellow on call with me who's going to take the majority of calls up front. And kind of like when I'm in clinic, they'll be responsible for doing sort of the primary assessment of that patient and then calling me to go over what's going on with that patient. I may be able to take that call from home. 
I may have to come in and see the patient myself. I may be able to see the patient first thing in the morning when I come in. So for me, call, uh, we, we do it um, a week at a time when it's on the intensive care unit. And so for that week, I would be on call 24-7, but I would only have to come in rarely or occasionally. What does the, the frequency of being on call, what does that look like? We have 11 cardiologists at the VA that share that duty. So it's one week in 11 for us. Okay. Do you think, do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital and clinic and all the academic duties? I do. I, like I said, as an academic and having some grant funding supporting my effort, my clinical responsibilities are reduced to match what is not offset by my, by my research grants. So my research productivity is up to me. And as long as I'm being productive and generating research findings, uh, getting them published, pursuing additional funding, that sort of thing, then my clinical demands are relatively easy to meet. So I've done a pretty good job over the last several years of doing my work, leaving it at work. And then when I go home, I'm there and I can be a wife and a, and a father and, and not be distracted. Is that opportunity available for every cardiologist who's in the same department as you to go out and, and get those grants and, and do as much research as they want? The opportunity is always there. Not everybody avails themselves of the opportunity. And academic medicine, you know, bigger than cardiology, has changed a lot over the last couple of decades to where there are a lot more people now that are in academics, they're academically affiliated, but they maybe are doing 100% clinical work. And if you don't early on commit time and energy towards pursuing funding, it can be hard later in your career to then decide, I'm actually going to do that. So yeah, the opportunities are there, but they're they're challenging bars to get over sometimes. And so it's, um, it's not something that everybody pursues, for sure. And with all of the research that you're doing, I think a lot of, if a pre-med is listening to this, a lot of pre-meds will think, oh, I guess I need to be a PhD as well. But I don't think you have your PhD. How, no. how has that hindered your ability to do research, if at all? Uh, it hadn't affected anything for me. Yeah. But I am a relatively non-traditional researcher, or at least probably the research that I do is not what people would tend to think of as research. I don't have a lab. I don't have any mice. I don't have anything <laughs> that I'm testing. There's no gas chromatography <laughs> anywhere near me. All of my research is built around what could be called health services research or health system science, where I'm looking more at bigger picture things, uh, outcomes, quality of care, mm. low value care, trying to reduce low value care, and, and those sorts of things that don't require a traditional lab. Yep. And while you can get advanced degrees in those fields, I there are very few of the researchers that I network with in those fields who are MDs who also have PhDs. Now, there are PhDs in those fields, to be sure, and I work with them too, but very few that are both. Okay. 
What does the process look like once a student finishes medical school? What does the, the training path look like to become a cardiologist? So it's three years of internal medicine residency, three years of general cardiology training would be the basic. There are a couple of variations on that. There are some programs, uh, cardiology programs, where you might do a year or two of research. And if you're interested in academics, those are certainly worth looking for. And those can be oriented towards whatever kind of research strikes your fancy. So it might be the kind of research I do, but maybe if you do want to work in a genetics lab or a pharmacology lab or something else, there are opportunities to do that. And so you might spend a year doing that, which could then give you a leg up on some of the grants that I was talking about earlier. How competitive is it to match into cardiology? Cardiology is pretty competitive, internal medicine less so. I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but the, you know, there are definitely uh, medicine residents that I work with and mentor every year, and, and some of them don't get in despite being good candidates. So it can be, um, it can be pretty challenging. What makes somebody a, a good or a competitive candidate? So things that make you a competitive candidate, sometimes it, you know, it, it starts with what kind of program are you coming out of? So are you coming out of a highly respected academic internal medicine program? Or are you coming out of one that doesn't have a track record of producing people with an interest in, in academics? I don't know how you know, fair uh, some of those prejudgments are, but that is one of the things that some programs look at in their decision process. Some programs still look pretty highly on uh, USMLE scores. And um, so that can continue to be an important factor uh, along down the road. There are opportunities as medicine residents to do research and to do other sorts of extracurricular things. So being involved in that as early on as you can, I think, is, um, is certainly not going to hurt. And it can be quite helpful. Now, you're a general cardiologist. What are the opportunities for somebody if they wanted to further subspecialize? So within cardiology, there are three ACGME recognized fellowships. So those are the ones that are sort of officially sanctioned by the, the governing body for, for residencies and fellowships. And that's invasive cardiology, electrophysiology, and heart failure transplant. Each of those is, oh no, EP is now two years. The other two are each one year. In addition to that, there are non-ACGME approved fellowships in things like structural heart disease. So if you wanted to be an invasive cardiologist and then also do percutaneous valve procedures, that's a fellowship that you could consider doing. And imaging is another one. I'm actually a program director for an imaging fellowship here at UF. and those are variable depending on what the needs of the program are. So some of them are based on cardiac MR or cardiac CT, cardiac echo, et cetera. Okay. For the osteopathic student listening to this, what sort of challenges, uh, obstacles are going to be in their way being an osteopathic student wanting to get into cardiology? So one of my classmates in my fellowship class was uh, a DO and he's an incredible guy. I have no concerns, reservations. And for us at our program, there was no distinction made between MD and DO. So 
I don't think that there's a whole lot of difference, but I do recognize that there are some institutions in some regions of the country that don't have don't have similar views. Mm. But for for us, it, it doesn't make any difference at all. If you're a strong candidate, we're happy to have you. What do you wish primary care physicians knew about what you're doing day in and day out to help you do your job better and help help the patients more? I think that I wish that referring providers felt a little bit more comfortable with symptoms that occur in the chest. There are a lot of people out there who, when a patient describes any kind of chest pain, will immediately and reflexively send them straight to the emergency department, call us up frantic for a stat consult. And that's sometimes that's necessary, but frequently it's not. And it not only puts strain on systems of care, but it can harm the patient too. If somebody, you know, tells them, you know, go to the ER, you might die when in reality they've got either non-cardiac symptoms or it's a patient with known coronary disease and they have stable angina that's completely manageable with medical therapy. Um, you know, that doesn't help. And so that, that's one thing that I, I wish people were a little bit more comfortable with. I think one other thing more broadly, it doesn't really apply to cardiology, but to all specialty care in general is um, I think there's a lot of use. I, I perceive a lot of use of the pronoun they on rounds and uh, in clinical care, you know, cardiology wants this or they ordered such and such test. And, you know, I'm, my patients have names and I have a name too. <laughs> so yeah. I'm an individual. I don't have a hive mind. <laughs> that uh, is synced up to all the other cardiologists in the hospital. And I don't know what, you know, the person who was on last week said, I can go read the note, but like, you can't just call me up and say, well, y'all were gonna do such and such. So I think, I think that's something that just in general, people that are speaking to specialists and specialists when they're getting back to referring teams could do a better job of. Yeah. And that, and that latter part is just more just professional communication. Yeah. Okay. What percentage of the referring providers that are referring a lot of stuff, maybe they don't need to, what percentage of that do you think is is just lack of knowledge or fear of repercussions if they miss something? So, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to break down a percentage because it certainly is a little bit of both. And I, I think there are some people who I have encountered doctors who are just like, I don't want to do hard stuff. I don't know hard stuff. I don't feel comfortable with hard stuff. I'm going to send it all to you because that's what you do and you're comfortable with it. And I have to appreciate that level of honesty. You know, as a primary care doc, I can appreciate the, how much there is yeah. <laughs> to have to know between all the different organ systems and how they can all fail. But I have also definitely encountered other people who are just like, I am terrified that something bad is going to happen to my patient. And that's one where, you know, I, I want to, I'd like to work with those folks as much as I can to say, I understand why you're concerned. I'm concerned too, you know, but if they had, you know, a stress test three months ago and they're on all the appropriate therapies that they need to be on, you know, we don't need to go down that road again. We don't need to send them straight to the cath lab. We don't need to repeat a nuclear stress test. You know, I can appreciate you don't want bad things to happen, but doing more tests is not going to fix that. Mm -hmm. And so let's try and focus on what will make a difference. What other specialties do you work the closest with? 
we work a lot with cardiothoracic surgery. They are obviously the, um, the, the definitive solution to, to valve disease if we need to have a surgical repair replacement uh, and bypass surgery. So we work with them a lot. A fair amount with anesthesiology because we do a lot of consultations for assessment of cardiovascular risk prior to non-cardiac surgeries. Hospital medicine, there's a, a substantial interface there. At the hospital that I work at, we don't have an inpatient cardiology service. So all the patients with acute MIs and heart failure, if they're not in the cardiac ICU, go to a hospital medicine floor. That might be a a teaching service with medicine residents, or it might just be professional hospitalists. So we work with them. And then I also personally work a lot with the emergency department. The emergency room is where a lot of chest pain shows up and begins their evaluation. And there are better and not so great ways of conducting those initial evaluations. And so I've worked with our emergency medicine specialists to try and develop streamlined models of care for chest pain. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for an academic cardiologist? I'm not sure that there's much that's really specific to cardiology. Nothing really immediately leaps to mind. I think for me as an academic in general, there are tons of opportunities to teach at a variety of levels. So I have routinely done lectures for our fellows as well as for our our internal medicine residents. In the past, I've done career development curricula for medicine residents and helped them trying to figure out which specialties they want to go into. I'm currently teaching medical students on, let's see, on the first, second, and third year at a variety, you know, at a different uh, number of settings. And this last year, I actually did some undergraduate teaching that uh, was really, uh, really an exciting opportunity to reach out to uh, potential pre-health students and talk to them about opportunities within medicine, not only as careers, but just sort of talking about larger sociopolitical issues. So we talked about healthcare reform, and we talked about the opioid crisis. We talked about e-cigarettes. So we, we, we touched on a number of different topics. So that was a fun opportunity. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into cardiology? I think I really knew, I, I don't think I was really all that surprised by anything in particular. One of the things that, that drew me to it early on was that there was the opportunity to continue to decide further, <laughs> sort of delay exactly what it was I wanted to do with my career. I said, okay, well, I'm going to go into cardiology and I'm not sure if I want to be an invasive cardiologist or not, but I've got some time to sort that out. So that was one of the things that that drew me to it. But I don't think I was really particularly surprised by it all that much. Now, I was going to ask you, I forgot, I forgot to ask you, after we were talking about all the different subspecialties and fellowships that you can do after your cardiology training, what was the decision for you to stay a general cardiologist? So. I got some advice during medical school that I think is a, a useful thought exercise. I, I actually, actually was on my um, OBGYN rotation. And one of the faculty asked me, what do you want to be doing at 3 a.m.? And the concept was that as a doctor, you're going to be on call. There's at some point in the middle of the night when somebody is going to 
they don't page anymore, but they're going to call your phone. It's going to be 3 a.m. And what do you want them to be calling you about? What are you motivated or excited to go and do at that time? And I've reflected back on that at a number of different stages in my career. And that was one of the things that I thought about when I'm trying to decide, do I want to do a subspecialty fellowship or not? And in particular, the one subspecialty I was the most interested in was invasive cardiology. And I did enjoy being in the cath lab, but what I didn't enjoy were the difficult cases. <laughs> I liked the easy cases. And so that told me I should not be doing this as a career. It's not for me if I don't want to slog through you know, a 90-minute case where I can't find somebody's bypass grafts and and we really need to figure out what's going on with these coronaries. I, I didn't have the temperament for that. And so I was um, best served and the patients were best served by, by doing something I was more passionate about, which was imaging and general cardiology. Yeah. Great. What do you like the most about being a cardiologist? I, what do I like most about cardiology in specific? I like it's something about the disease processes. It kind of gets back to my completely vague and not very helpful answer earlier <laughs> about how I chose this as a specialty. It's just, it's something that clicks. It makes sense. I enjoy it. And I, I enjoy providing explanations to patients about what's going on with them. Now, I, I don't know. I may very well, you know, in another life have enjoyed explaining Crohn's disease to somebody, but that sort of thing really, really does motivate me. And I find it to be highly rewarding. You know, sometimes I'll go to clinic and Somebody calls me and says, well, you, we need to see a patient for this, that, and the other thing. And it, on the surface, doesn't sound like it's going to be very interesting. But then, you know, I get in there, sit down with the patient, talk with them for, you know, maybe it's only 10 minutes. But, you know, they may not have had somebody really sit down with them and explain what all is going on. Or if it has been explained before, it just didn't come through. And I, I find that to be one of the most rewarding experiences that I have in cardiology is, is uh, taking that time with patients and really helping them to understand their disease process. What do you like the least? It's probably what I was talking about before where you know, people call and consult with questions and I'm like, you know, I, I can certainly answer that question, but it seems like you probably ought to be able to. And so that can, can be frustrating. But again, if I reflect on it and I think, well, you know, in the patient's best interest, if this doctor is not comfortable handling that question, then I need to come in and help. And that's, that's what my job is as a specialist. And so, you know, take a moment. This might be the ninth consult of the day, and I might have other things that are, <laughs> from my perspective, clearly more urgent. But, you know, figure out where this fits in the triage, help that uh, patient out, help that physician out, and, um, and make the best of it. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of cardiology, whether that's technology or treatment options or anything else? Oh, yeah. There's plenty of stuff that is um, continuing to be developed and change the practice of cardiology. Uh, I mentioned structural procedures, and it's just amazing the advances that have been made even since I completed my training and the sorts of procedures that we're able to do to alter structural elements in the heart is is just just amazing so that's that's continuing to be advanced and refined in imaging we are 
we're taking on all sorts of, of new stuff. There, there's uh, three-dimensional imaging that's coming online, particularly with echocardiography. There is new advances in CT technology that, uh, that may be able to let us make functional assessments of stenoses, whereas CT normally just gives us pictures. There's PET imaging and um, newer tracers that are coming online for positron emission tomography that um, have the potential to further improve diagnostic accuracy, prognosis for, for patients. So there's, there's all sorts of things that are, that are changing just in terms of technology. I think that personally for me, I, I'm a little bit more interested in nuts and bolts. Let's cover our bases and, and you know, something like 50% of all hypertensives are not at goal, despite us having, you know, a half dozen different families of medicine. And so I think prevention is something that I see more and more interest in within the cardiology community. Now, you don't need to be a cardiologist to be good at preventative medicine, but there's a lot of opportunity within cardiology to promote better prevention. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a cardiologist? Oh yeah, I I um I'm I'm happy to come to work every day, and um, I think that's what you want in any kind of a career. Any last words of wisdom for the pre med med student or even internal medicine resident listening to this, thinking about cardiology as a career? No, I think um you know go out there and and experience as many things as you can, uh, get a, b- a broad exposure to a variety of different specialties and. For most people, and you know, my experience, my peers, you know, something you, you figure it out, you know, and it, and it strikes you, and and and, and you just sort of know. <laughs> On occasion, people just don't, and they get to the end of their you know medical training, and they're just not quite sure what to do. And even if that's the case, there are plenty of good jobs to uh, to go out there and get started doing, and to continue looking for that thing that's really going to be fulfilling for you know a long and fruitful career. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. David Winchester, an academic cardiologist, talking all about his career and his specialty. Hopefully you got some good information out of this episode. And if you are interested in cardiology, start doing some research, take another listen to this episode, and hopefully that will be in your future. We have a lot of great guests coming up, including next week, we have a great discussion with an academic cardiothoracic surgeon. I'll see you next week here on Specialty Stories.